welcome to the Dairy Dialogue 159, the podcast about the Dairy Isles, and this week we have a theme. Unusual, I know. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and I finally got through all of the video editing, and even managed to get one online. I edited seven video interviews, and not only is it the time that it takes, it's also the little things, like you can't really do anything while the video is saving, because the computer slows right down. So seven of those, at 15 minutes each, is more than an hour and a half of just waiting around. And after that, I've got to make them a little bit smaller, so they will fit onto our content management system, which sometimes acts up a little bit, usually when you least want it to. Anyway, COP26 is now over, so Glasgow has its streets and highways back, and all the delegates have gone home. Hopefully some of them were able to see a little of what the area has to offer, because it doesn't take very long to get out of Glasgow into some totally spectacular scenery. I haven't really achieved a lot this week. It was one of those one step forward, two steps back kind of weeks. When you spend hours trying to fix things and get nowhere, tis the season to be frustrated. Things like a malfunctioning TV, trying to order Christmas photos and getting annoyed because the pop-ups don't work and the instructions are clear as mud, and crashing browsers. Then having to send things back that I bought online because sellers and companies can't describe their products accurately, or they leave out crucial information so when the description says built once and then packed away in its original packaging, they kind of leave out the bit where they broke it putting it back in the package. Or a 5-CD boxed set that's in immaculate condition, only there are only 4 CDs in there. Or a really cool hockey jersey that says no stains or bobbles, but misses out the fact that there's one huge pull the size of a chihuahua. So, it's been one of those kind of weeks. Anyway, enough complaining. There was progress with the dog this week in that he only lost it on our weekly hike with one dog. And to be honest, the other dog did kind of deserve it, so I couldn't be too harsh. Sometimes there are people I'd like to shout at while I'm out walking. So training is a long process, but we're getting there. It's been a slow news week in some respects as well, but there are a lot of requests for interviews coming in for FIE, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks, and absolutely loads of requests for the 2022 editorial calendar, as companies look for promotional opportunities for next year, and hopefully to spend their entire advertising budget on Dairy Reporter. Well, I can hope... As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, there's a theme to the show this week, and it's because we're talking to all four companies that were accepted into the Milky Beta program. So we have interviews with the four startups participating in the program, which is the first global incubator, specializing in the advancement of innovation projects for the dairy sector, and the first edition, the four companies, are spread out across the world in Spain, the US, India, and South Africa. It's being organized by Pasquale Innoventures along with Eatable Adventures and so we spoke with Parini and Sohil Capadia, co-founders of the Zero Cow Factory, Shane Giuliano, founder of 108 Labs subsidiary M2 Factors, Zoltan Toth-Zifra from Real Deal Milk and Leah Bessa, CSO of DeNovo Dairy. And of course we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. So now it's time to cast an eye, I'm not sure whether the right or left one, over the news from the past seven days, which you may have missed. Alpha Laval debuted its Plus Clean nozzle for total coverage tank cleaning. In the US, DFA Colab Accelerator is looking for 2022 program applicants, and Christian Hansen has added to its dairy sugar reduction portfolio. I did the article on my trip to a farm in Scotland that is working with N2 Applied on a pilot project to reduce methane, and that's both an article and a video, so you can watch, listen, and read all at the same time. Connectera has expanded access to AI technology for New Zealand dairy farmers through Fonterra, and Dairy Gold is targeting Chinese consumers with a new range of premium milk powders. Ukraine and Israel are hoping to cooperate on dairy. Supply chain issues, including those in the dairy industry, were discussed at a White House roundtable. 
and UK seaweed supplements could reduce livestock methane emissions. Halo, which used to be ketone, has signed a $40 million deal in China. Glanbia is selling its holding in Glanbia, Ireland to the Glanbia Co-op. And NZMP is partnering with Sun Genomics on personalized probiotics. DSM is planning a new production site for methane-reducing Beauvais in Scotland. In fact, it's going to be in Ayrshire, so less than an hour from where I live. The USDA is investing $20.2 million in dairy business innovation initiatives, and you can read all of these, even watch one of them because it's only a short eight-minute video, or maybe nine, and read many more at dairyreporter.com. Which brings us to the first of the four companies involved in the Milky Beta program. And rather than me tell you all about the companies, I'll let them do that. And so the first one is in Barcelona, Spain. And we chatted with Zoltan Toth Zifra from Real Deal Milk. All right. So I guess if you could, if we could start with a bit of background on the company. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the company is fairly young. We started this year in February and, you know, because incorporation, et cetera, took, took a couple of weeks. In fact, we started working in April. So we are a bit bit over like a half a year of work uh, that we have put into this. And But we have, you know, I think we have, we have done a pretty good progress so far. But obviously we are pretty early on in this, um, in this research. So what we're doing is precision fermentation dairy. What that means is that we take yeast cells and we reprogram them genetically so that they express proteins and other components of milk. We're focused on, on proteins right now, but obviously that's just one part of the ingredient. ingredients that from there, you're going to have to uh, work in our, our fat sources and, and sugars. But basically milk is, you know, just proteins, fats and sugars and some micronutrients suspended in, in water. And that's from those potentially proteins are the, the hardest to make. So we are pretty early in this journey, but, and that's where, where I think that, you know, milk beta will, will help a lot to really accelerate the, the progress and, and get us ready for the, a round of investment. And what kind of end products will you be coming out with? And will it be for consumers or will it be an ingredient for manufacturers? That is a good question. So currently our North Star is cheese, uh, more specifically soft cheese. We think that that's, that's a great product because First of all, it's, it's hard to substitute cheese. So I think if you want a special milk in your coffee, then you already have pretty good alternatives to traditional dairy. But cheese is something that, you know, is both gastronomically and also culturally somehow so much deeper than milk itself. And so we're focused on that. And soft cheese is because, first of all, that's uh, mozzarella or similar cheese is, is the top uh, salt cheese in the US and probably in Europe as well. And having, being a soft cheese that, that is not very aged or not aged at all, uh, gives us a much shorter iteration cycles and it's just a simpler product too in terms of you know like the complexity of the process of the of, of microbiology etc so that's our north star but of course our vision is much broader than that so we want to cover everything is dairy eventually but we think you know you need to pick something to start with and that's for us is soft cheese and of course while we're working on our product uh, we might see some what we call tangential products that might be like a spin-off for an early product that you know we might be able to commercialize before we get to cheese thinking of yeah some raw ingredients like a lean uh, milk powder or some type of whey powder or potentially some processed cheese or, or, or things that doesn't require that high amount of and very pure protein or very very good cheese product but our north star is cheese right now and then from there we're going to go to everything else. We're going after liquid milk, we're going after yogurt, uh, you name it. And then what, what I'm excited about beyond it, this is that this will really allow us, this technology will allow us not just to, to recreate the same exact products that we already know, but also come up with completely new, new types of products, healthier products, exotic products. So I think in the really long run, precision fermentation or in a larger scale, um, cellular agriculture is going to be very, very exciting field of innovation in food. Um, what about scaling up your products? Because obviously that's going to be the key to 
making the price difference between regular dairy and newer products is going to be the, the price. How are you going to scale up and keep the prices reasonable? Right, exactly. So the, the holy grail of the whole industry is price parity, not just with dairy, but also lab-grown meat, for example. Price parity with the traditional manufacturing methods. We don't think there are any physical limits of why we shouldn't be able to match dairy. Just in terms of the calorie input and output ratio, we think you can do much, much better than, than cattle. And that's definitely true for meat as well. You know, I think eventually everybody or we all get there and everybody will get there. Uh, the question is when, and of course, as, as you point out, that's a function of scale, probably. So whoever gets there first will probably get there through like a large scale of operation. And, uh, and that's what everybody's working on. But of course, you know, I, I think that this is not a necessarily winner take all market, even if scale matters a lot. Dairy is you know, in the 800 plus billion dollar yearly global market. And I think there's there's a lot of space there for everybody who is who's innovating in this field to sort of find the market, find their customers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's thousands of dairy cheeses alone and you couldn't, if you did corner the market, that would mean you would have to produce, like you said, billions of liters of milk and a thousand right. different kinds of cheese for, for the world. So yeah, absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot exactly. of room for... Cheese itself is almost as big, big of a market as, as liquid milk globally. So if you just focus on cheese, you still you know, probably have like hundreds of billions of, of dollars of uh, market there. So yeah, this is exciting because of that too. And I think that if you're going to make an impact in terms of climate change, land use, water use, and animal welfare, which is what we, why we're doing this after all, then, you know, we're going to have to combine the, the scale of, of everybody doing this and then, then some, and that's the only way we're going to, we're going to be able to have any impact here. What kind of timescale do you have for um, developing all of this? Right. So I wouldn't commit to any forecast here. We are, as I said, very early in this journey and we are in our research phase. And as you know, research is full of uncertainties and risks. We are, you know, headed towards our goals with a pretty good pace, I think. But in terms of like when, I think that that is just too dependent on a lot of variables. Obviously, we have our sort of private estimates that we communicate to our, our potential investors, but publicly, I wouldn't commit to anything. So if you're, if you're asking me like when I think we're going to see products from precision fermentation, their products in supermarkets, I'm really hoping that in a, in a five-year scale, you're going to see a lot more of that uh, in supermarkets and in consumers' hands than we are seeing right now. And I guess another part of that is the regulation as well, because in places like Singapore, it's kind of a little bit further advanced. Yeah, that's correct. We are very much aware that Europe seems to be a more difficult market in terms of regulation than, let's say, US, Singapore, Israel, where these type of companies are typically located. But we think that Europe is a great place to be when you develop, uh, you know, dairy innovation, uh, because we have the culture and we have the market size. Europe has the biggest dairy market size in the world, and we have obviously the culture that comes with it, especially when when we're talking about cheese products. So I think this is actually a great place to be. Uh, but of course, regulation is something that we have to gonna have to clear. Uh, this is something we started from the day one, so we have a pretty good idea of what it takes or what what sort of regulation exists. And uh, obviously, we're not quite there yet to, to apply to novel food permission, but you have a, a fairly good understanding of the process already. I think that eventually the EU will have to come on board because, you know, they, they have climate goals, they have their environmental and food safety uh, goals that they, they're going to have to reach and they can't uh, get around dealing with, with agriculture in that process. So I think eventually they, they might come on board a bit better and they, they might make this a little bit simpler for companies like us but we we know that the eu is not is a, is a slow is a slow elephant so it's very important that we involve i think traditional dairy producers in in this transition and that's why i'm really happy that pasqual is signaling that they believe in this future and, and they think that this this is where things are headed and they want to be part of it speaking of which what does it do for your company to be involved in the Milky Bater is one of the four startups. It's very, very exciting. There is a bunch of things. So for example, obviously we are getting a lot of very practical help. So helping to 
develop our, our, our research roadmap, our route to market, our product market fit, working on our, our pitch deck doing financial and business forecast with us. So there's a lot of practical stuff like that. This is where Eatable Adventures, the, the organization that effectively runs the, the incubator program with Pascual, helping a lot. They have experience in running incubator programs, so they're obviously very, very experienced in, in this. And then on the other hand, we get through the program, we get some exposure in the media and also exposure to potential investors. So our idea is that uh, when we finish the program, we can open up a, a funding round and hopefully with the help of the program, we're going to be in a shape in our vision and, and in our research that will attract some interest there. So that's a very important part of it. And just as I said, I think just uh, signaling to the world that traditional dairy producers see the future in cellular agriculture and precision fermentation, that's a huge deal, I think. And so what was the reasoning behind doing this in the first place? I usually talk about two things uh, in connection with why we're doing this. And just really short, I think, and this is part of sort of my philosophy about, about this company, is that I think that we are a generation of guilt whenever you, you know, book a flight ticket or, you know, eat a piece of meat if, if you do, or, or buy a new t-shirt, whatever you do, you feel like this constant baseline guilt associated with that because you know the consequence. In, in a way, that's a good thing because it, it does inform your behavior and, and it potentially makes you more conscious consumer. But eventually you realize that you can get rid of the guilt no matter what you do, no matter how consciously you live your life in terms of your, your choices as, as a customer. And I don't think that's a healthy state of mind. So I think that in this century, technology has acquired a new role, which is to reduce guilt and restore your innocence, besides obviously uh, reducing scarcity that has been its traditional role. And I think it's very interesting that, you know, now technology has gotten that, that role as well. And uh, on the other hand, there is, there is like a sense of urgency because most of the time technology gets invented sort of almost by itself magically uh, from like the, the technological and historical context. So it doesn't matter if you do something as an individual all that much because, you know, at least that's the feeling you get, right? Like things will get done, things will get invented. The light bulb would have, would have been invented without Thomas Edison and, you know, like uh, uh, the iPhone would have been, or smartphones would have been invented without Steve Jobs. But this time, I think like now we have a sense of urgency because of climate change, mostly. That means that actually your individual contributions do matter because they might make this process just a little bit faster. We, we might get there just you know, a few months, a few years before. And these months and years actually do matter. We're living in a time when, when, when actually this, this urgency is, is there. So this is you know, part of the source of the motivation that we're doing this. Next, we'll head to India to chat with the co-founders of the Zero Cow Factory, Parini and Sohil Kapadia. All right, so I guess the, the first question would be if you could give me a bit of background on the company. Zero Cow Factory uh, is basically India's first uh, cellular agriculture or to be very specific, uh, precision fermentation based startup. So we are the first movers in this space uh, from India. And what we are creating is basically we are creating a milk and dairy products without any animal involved. So that is what I think uh, quite a new category as alternate protein we already know, right? And it is growing so fast, right? So uh, we also wanted to disrupt uh, how the food consumption will happen in the future and certainly to the dairy point of view. Uh, and Zero Cow Factory uh, basically had a, a lot of uh, trigger points actually to start with. Uh, so mission is definitely to get into the sustainable future and uh, climate change that lead us to start a zero cow factory. And India being uh, always the largest dairy market globally in terms of uh, production and consumption, both almost one fourth uh, market share globally, right? So it's a huge, massive market in terms of uh, dairy and dairy products. But there is absolutely no innovation is happening compared to the uh, some of the companies like a perfect day in the USA. They are the, I think, uh, technology breakthrough they have done to get the FD approval to sell such products, right, from precision fermentation-based products. So that's how I think uh, uh, it was the right time for us to think and start uh, getting into this venture. It's a need of the hour for us. And uh, I think uh, we are very close to climate change and sustainability. So I think this was the right uh, time for us to start. I was going to ask about that because you, you mentioned about sustainability and obviously this is a part of the 
solution. Is there a great deal of awareness of that issue in India currently? Traditional livestock farming definitely is not a sustainable uh, from the uh, looking at the growing populations and limited natural resources, right? And we are talking about uh, 10 billion population by 2050. Right, that's what uh, the problem statement. Everyone is working in alternate protein space, so uh, definitely the greenhouse gas emission is a big problem. Uh, looking at the climate change and sustainability, and India point of view, India is uh, largest in terms of the livestock at the moment of time. It's not only the human population, 1.4 billion, right, already, but uh, in terms of the livestock also, uh, because of the dairy and other uh, industrialization. It's the highest population from the animal uh, cattle point of view. So that's a, a major I mean, uh, problem to definitely to look at. And uh, from consumer point of view, definitely India is still I mean, uh, at a nascent point, the acceptance point of view. And uh, regulatory is a big hurdle in India at the moment of time to sell such products. So consumer acceptance as well as the affordability, I think it will take some time, at least three to five uh, years. And uh, as a regulatory challenge also, we are not uh, looking at India to st uh, start with. So our first product we are looking to launch in Singapore uh, because Singapore has a clear policy in terms of uh, such products uh, in uh, precision fermentation or cellular products, right? So that's our plan to start with Singapore followed by the USA. Because at the moment, I think only a couple of countries are open to sell products uh, like Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, US and Canada. Uh, even European Union is not open. Many of the uh, countries are still forming a policy, a robust policy, how the genetically modified products can be uh, change the future food consumption. So there are many aspects to look at. And at the moment, I think uh, US, uh, North America is actually the mature market to start with because uh, a lot of uh, plant-based products and the companies are already growing because of the vegan population is going to increase or the flexitarian diets, that's what the uh, the population, uh, uh, new generation population actually is expecting to uh, drive the growth. Uh, definitely we are Indian basically uh, startup, but uh, we are not able to sell unfortunately the products in India at the moment of time. So that will come back, I think, when the policy will be allowing us to get the approval for such products in next two, three years. And what kind of products will you be launching in Singapore when you find first launch? Uh, yeah, so uh, we started with uh, the casein. Uh, so milk has the casein and the whey, right? And casein is 80 to 85 percent of the milk protein. So we started with the casein because uh, casein is actually essential part of the milk uh, in terms of the quantity, number one. Number two, it is required to create a cheese, yogurt and different dairy products. And also how we are different basically from the global startup like a perfect day formo or the maybe remilk is we target on a a2 milk basically india is always a, a country with a2 milk basically and uh, we have uh, taken a native cattle from the india uh, who produces the premium a2 milk so a2 casein which we are trying to uh, create as a first product launch in the singapore and the globally so we will be i think the first company to launch a vegan a2 casein protein powder without giving anything away how does your processing work okay so basically means so we are using two biotechnological concepts for our approach means first is the bioengineering the microbes and second one is to the precision fermentation so first step is the bioengineering the microbes. so in that particular step we engineer the microbes in a such a way that those microbes are able to produce the milk protein in a similar way like the traditional cow so in simple words, those microbes mimic the role of the traditional cow. And second one is to the precision fermentation is basically for the production of our target protein from those microbes at the optimum scale or larger scale. And after that fermentation, there is one more step that is the downstream process It's basically for the isolation, extraction and purification of our target protein from the fermentation media. So after all these steps means we will get our targeted milk protein in a raw form. These are the, some of the steps which we are using for our approach. And what about scaling that up to a commercial scale? Yeah, so at the moment with casein, A to casein, we have achieved our microbes actually in a laboratory level. And uh, we are at a flask level uh, scaling already to get into uh, some milligrams of protein. Okay, uh, with respect to their structure, the functionality, and similar to the traditional uh, casein uh, powder. 
and now uh, we are part of the milky way right so we are really excited only asian startup is part of this journey and globally there are only four startups who are part of uh, this program in uh, spain basically right and backed by the pascal one of the leading dairy company so we are looking to get into opportunity uh, with the pascal and this milky way program to scale and industrialize this uh, product very quickly so now uh, milky way program is helping us to uh, get into the rapid uh, uh way of uh, getting into industrialization of the a2 casein powder to start with and uh, maybe uh next product which we are looking as a cheese from the casein so all the facilities the r&d infrastructures and the expertise which we are getting through the milky way program at the moment of time and we are hoping to get uh, this product industrialization point of view ready and getting the singapore launch by mid of the next year that is 2022 What does the Milky Bayer being part of the Milky Bayer program mean for your company? Uh definitely I mean it's a first global incubation program right uh, for uh, cellular agriculture or the precision fermentation and uh, there is absolutely no such programs available I mean so Pascal is fortunate uh, enough I mean they work on innovation as main core value for them right for uh, as a Spanish brand but uh, innovation is I think everything for them and their mission is to have the animal free dairy in the future and that's how I think they started uh, this particular program to work with startup collaborations and jointly making maybe they can create such products uh, in the future to launch in uh, europe to start with and maybe then globally so milky better is really excited uh, program because uh, there is a lot of synergy actually so there are a lot of food tech uh, accelerator programs or the incubation programs are available globally right but this program is very specific to the uh, non animal and the dairy point of view so and all these startups if you look at the portfolio they are working in the dairy space primarily so that's how i think the synergy from us our mission their mission is aligned and to grow really rapidly together in this particular space so that's how i think milky better is aligned to lot of uh, the help which every startup is required in this space and i think we are fortunate enough to be part of this program to uh, get into the faster way of uh, industrialization of such products getting the regulatory approvals go to market strategy across the different countries and also the i mean uh, investment point of view also this program is very essential for us from asia it's over to africa and de novo dairy and we chatted with the company's cso leah besser who wasn't in south africa but at cop26 in glasgow if you could tell me a little bit about de novo dairy sure yeah so de novo dairy started um, early this year when myself shawn journey and richard sort of met up so shawn and i were working on it independently and journey and richard were working on sort of the same concept independently and then we got introduced by um, a mutual friend and then we sort of decided that we would work together because we have quite a nice complementary skill set basically the idea is to recreate dairy because a lot of consumers are not quite moving over to plant-based alternatives um, because it doesn't really have the same sensory or the same eating experience as dairy does and it also doesn't have the same nutrition so it's so really to have that mass impact It's about recreating it in a nature identical way without the use of any animals. So basically the best way to do that is using precision fermentation, which is a technology that has pretty much been around forever, but just sort of modernizing it to specifically produce dairy proteins. And so I mean Journey has as a background in biochemistry, I'm a food scientist, John's a business person, and then Richard's an engineer. So we we have quite a an interesting set of of skills to sort of take it from infancy to some sort of scale so that's sort of the concept behind donovo dairy and i guess what we really want to achieve is to reach price parity so that we can address the south african and african market it's often ignored but it's going to be the biggest growing population in the next 30 years and there's going to be a particular increase in the demand for animal protein so i mean the market is just going to grow but we don't have anyone in Africa addressing it. And what kind of products are you aiming to produce? So we are producing whey protein initially and then we're going to move on to casein which are the two functional dairy proteins that are responsible for the mouthfeel of dairy products. 
And we're going to be a B2B company as opposed to sort of having a brand-facing company. And the idea behind that is really so that we can have a lot more impact and um, scale because we can service a lot of different companies in a lot of different industries. Because, I mean, whey protein is used not just in dairy products, it's used in almost everything. So really going for quite a versatile, high-impact protein that has a lot of uses and is used very widely and extensively. And what kind of timescales are you looking at before you're able to, I guess, first come up with the products and then be able to produce at scale? Over this next year, so sort of 10 to 12 months, we're going to be finishing off our prototype, which is demonstrating like a structurally nature identical um, whey protein that also has the same function. So it's not just going to be the same in its chemical composition. It's really going to have the same functionality in food. So that's that's what our main focus in, over this next year. Um, and then in doing initial piloting. So that will go over into the second year where we will be piloting at about 750 litres, which would then lend itself to us building a plant. So we'll only really be producing anything at some sort of scale that's sort of 10,000 litres and above, I'd say, in about three to five years, which is, it's actually not that far off. No, exactly. And I suppose the one good thing, well, one of the good things about that is that the footprint that you'll need size will be considerably smaller. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they reproduce a lot quicker, so your protein output is, is much quicker. And you don't need arable land for it at all. So you, you do it in sort of factories much like you would a brewery in tall fermentation tanks. So it's almost like the vertical farming style approach where you can use a lot more space going upwards as opposed to a crop like uh, horizontally and you don't need that land to be arable at all. The impact is definitely far, far, far less. Another good thing about that in terms of doing this in Africa is that there are a lot of places where you could create these proteins where normally you wouldn't be able to actually create milk. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it, there's lots of areas in Africa which are drought-stricken and you don't really get... I mean, you might get some dairy cows, but their production rates are so low just because of sort of the lack of arable or nutritious land. So it's not really... Uh, feasible in a lot of African countries so it has a lot of potential and you can use it pretty much or build it anyway I mean if you look across Africa there are breweries everywhere in every corner of Africa so it's definitely a technology that I mean it's slightly different to brewing but it's a similar concept and a similar set of equipment so I mean it is it's shown to scale and it's shown to be used across Africa so it's just a matter of modifying it or tweaking it to our needs. And so you're part of the one of the four startups in the Milky Way. Or what is that going to mean for your company? Yeah, um, yeah, we're really excited about it. I think what's really exciting is that it's a dairy company that's sort of leading it. So you have a lot of help in the dairy sector because usually it's the dairy industry fighting against all these alternatives. So it's really nice to have um, support on the other end and, and that helps a lot with sort of getting both getting to market and, and legislation and, and just sort of you know route to look at products and what it would work well in so it just offers a lot of support in a very specific context for the industry we're going into which is amazing and then it also just helps a lot from a technical standpoint having a company that has been doing it for, for many 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 years and then just replacing it with a non-animal derived version and, and sort of having that technical expertise I wouldn't say on hand, but definitely at our disposal, which is invaluable. I think it also just sets an example. It just almost sets an example for the rest of the dairy industry too. It doesn't leave them much choice but to do the same. I mean, they might not invest in other companies, but they'll definitely start incorporating other alternatives into their portfolio, which is, you know, that's that's how the change starts. So, I mean, Pasquale is really big. Um, and so to have a really big company like leading that charge just sets a really, really good precedent for the whole industry. And I mean, it's very good for us to sort of be within that network at such an early stage. And now it's over to the US for a company you may be familiar with if you listen to the podcast, because we have had a conversation with him before. Although I won't test you and ask which number podcast, because I don't remember either. When I think I talked to someone two months ago, it turns out to be more than a year. 
Anyway, we had another chat with Shane Giuliano, founder of 108 Labs subsidiary M2 Factors. So, uh, yeah, since we last talked, continuing work at 108 Labs, some exciting things have uh, been developing recently, one of which is Milky Bader. So at Milky Bader, we have, you know, launched a new subsidiary of 108 Labs that we're calling M2 Factors. Now, M2 is actually referencing a bit of a of an unannounced project, which, you know, I'm happy to talk about here, but we haven't really done a, a publicity push on it. But M2 is what we're calling our milk platform. So Magic of Milk, Milk 2.0, and M2 draws from my background in software development, organic chemistry, engineering, and of course, uh, cell biology and cell-cultured milks. And it's essentially a platform for scaling milk. You can think of it like an artificial cow that feeds itself, maintains itself, and milks itself. And right now, you know, I'm starting to build all the systems of the M2 platform. And I think it'll probably take about 16 or so months for me to build my first artificial cow and then maybe an hour to build the second one. So it's uh, very much a technology approach that I'm a little bit more well-suited for, I guess, uh, you know, just with my background in software. So that's M2. So the whole idea is once we complete M2, that we have everything we need to, you know, for instance, build a 5,000 liter per day, you know, milk production facility. Now M2 Factors is the second major challenge. And M2 Factors is focused on all of the inputs for M2. So so culture medium, growth factors, sourcing cheap amino or you know cheap high quality amino acids or affordable high quality amino acids and salts and you know everything that goes in to uh, the bar reactor and you know I think once we complete M2's beta version and M2 factors reduces the cost of production. I think we'll have all the pieces in place, you know, for building our first, you know, 5,000 liter per day factory. So that's, that's sort of where M2 factors fits in the picture as part of a larger effort, you know, to really build this artificial cow technology. What's the ultimate goal in terms of the end product at the end of all of this? Well, this is quite interesting too. So this is also uh, sort of lightly announced, but we opened already what I believe is the world's first cell cultured milk facility under FDA regulation already in my hometown of North Carolina. And so we're starting to work with field inspectors actually to, you know, develop paperwork and, you know, educate them on what we're doing. We also are technically insured to sell to restaurants already, which was one of the more challenging aspects. So, you know, you can't really, you know, run a food production facility without being insured for food production. So um, in addition to building M2, we're actually building M2 at this facility. So again, when we're done building M2, we want the milestone for me is selling our first piece of cheese through a chef is going to be our most likely first commercial sell. I have a stealth drug company that I started in May of 2020, and that work is still ongoing, but that whole project is really kind of bigger than 108 Labs. It's going to require partnerships with dairy companies for infant formula and, you know, pharmaceutical companies. So, you know, that's another sort of entity that is running on stealth and it's got a 10-year project ahead of it. Whereas the milk project, which we're actually calling M2 Foods, so we have M2 Foods, M2 Health. M2 Health is, you know, the drug company that's going to be installed for a long time. M2 Foods, we're really trying to get a product to market as fast as possible. And by the time we sell our first cheese, I believe we will, you know, through the Milky Bader and M2 Factors effort, 
have reduced our cost, certainly below the cost of human milk today, which is about $120 per liter, and really shooting for something closer to organic milk, which is, you know, one to $2 per liter. And, um, you know, we think we have a roadmap, a pretty straightforward roadmap to $10 per liter, and then a more difficult roadmap to $1 per liter. But we think it's achievable. You know, we need to cut our amino acid costs by 80%. For instance, over time, through scaled up purchases, you know, hopefully we'll get us most of the way there. So those are the kind of challenges that M2 factors will be focused on. You know, how do we find the best supplier of amino acids suitable for cell culture, for instance. We're confronting the regulatory challenges. We're confronting the food development challenges. So actually crafting our first cheeses. We are building M2, uh, you know, the beta version of M2. We're doing this all under FDA regulation. And we think, you know, within two years, we would have, you know, conquered most of those obstacles with a platform in hand that, you know, sort of, easy to scale at that point and that we've already, you know, achieved food commodity costs in the food space so that we can compete. You know, we, we would compete with like artisanal cheeses, you know, for instance, at first, I don't think we're going to, you know, replace all the cheeses on the shelf coming out of the gate, but that's the goal in the long term is to, you know, have something that, you know, really looks and tastes and stretches and melts uh, like you expect cheese to do. It was interesting that you mentioned about the, or at least the getting the price down, it would appear from everything that's happening right now with on-farm costs and transportation costs are rising. So mm-hmm. it looks it looks like that, that price point that you have to get to might be slightly higher on the farm side than it is currently anyway. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of pressures that are, increasing over time. The European nations have begun to put a cap on dairy production. I believe it's in Norway that after 2030 will no longer be able to increase the number of uh, cattle in a uh, milk production operation, for instance. Um, So obviously, you know, the cost is going to go up if the supply cannot and the demand continues to increase over time. And then, of course, we have inflationary pressures. And, you know, I think the world is beginning to recognize that certainly the current food system needs to become more sustainable. The dairy industry needs to be part of the solution. Yeah, there's an inflection point in the future where, you know, we get our costs down closer to $1 per liter. And the pressures for finding a suitable replacement to uh, traditional dairy based on cost and also just consumer desire. I think everybody is looking, you know, the alternative protein space is hot right now. And I think a lot of that is driven by these sort of secondary concerns. People were, I think it's about 2% of the market now of the dairy space is now alternative proteins. It's plant proteins. And I think most people agree that while some people like soy milk and I like soy milk, it's not milk and it is a compromise. And certainly when you go be into processed foods like cheese. And so giving people an option that allows them to benefit the world and not necessarily have to compromise on quality. You know, I think that's where the so cultured milks uh, have a unique role to play in this transition away from the the traditional animal agriculture. And as far as the milky beta side of things is concerned, what does being involved in that allow you to do? It's our first foray into Europe formally. So, you know, I look at it as us operating in Europe. Um, It's already, you know, even just this press release has given us uh, some interesting exposure that's a big reason is that we, you know, milk is a global problem. And, you know, I'm based in the U.S. I've, you know, sort of been talking to different dairy companies in Europe. We're looking for a sort of lead partner on co-development of infant formula and some of the drugs and also on the food side. So, there's a lot of great companies in Europe that we want to talk to. There's a lot of investors in Europe. 
And, you know, once we complete M2, you know, I think, again, we're about two years away from from hitting these these major milestones, you know, hopefully all at the same time. And then it's really, you know, who's going to be our partner in this country for cheese? Who's going to be our partner in this country for infant formula? And um, this is sort of the beginning of us, you know, expanding into a bit of a more global scope and developing relationships, you know, around the world. Um, I think, you know, Asia is another place where, you know, we're talking with people and, and we think, you know, there's going to be tremendous interest. Um, so it's it's really a, a step in that direction, a major step. You know, one of the sort of design requirements of the M2 platform is that it can run anywhere almost under any conditions you know it's not going to have the same obstacles to scaling that we're seeing in like precision fermentation for instance where there's already a capacity backlog precision fermenters and they have to you know use these huge vats that are in these rooms that cost you know 40 million dollars to run empty because they have to be just incredibly clean you know our technology is more like <laughs> we sort of joke it's a cow in a box it's milk in a box you know well the first version will not be self-contained like it won't you know it won't necessarily be like a refrigerator that makes milk it'll be you know in sort of large rooms that are set up as you know sort of incubator scale rooms but down the road you can imagine the next step is you know a self-contained unit that's making milk and if you think about everything that would need to go into that those are all the things that we're focused on developing so that we can reach this point where there's really nothing stopping us from, you know, going from 5,000 liters a day in a single factory is sort of the spec that we're designing to. And, you know, once we have the proof of concept that that's possible, we should build 10,000 factories. <laughs> Well, and the good thing about it is, as you were explaining in the last interview that we did, that this is something that doesn't rely on a certain geographical location. It can be replicated anywhere. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I'm really proving that right now in Hillsborough. It's just this, you know, small little town, no biotechnology to speak of really happening in town. I think there's a couple of small wet labs. We're set up in a food facility. Us being there is proof in itself that this can happen anywhere. And I think that's really critical. Um, I think milk, the world deserves so cultured milk and locality is going to matter a lot when it comes to milk production because, you know, milk spoils. The future where so cultured milk is having the biggest impact possible is a future that is geographically distributed and it's going to require a platform that can run anywhere. And now it's over to Ireland for something completely different, and that's our weekly look at the global dairy markets with StoneX and Charlie Highland. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Jim. Um, well, the dairy markets this week could be considered uh, quite a bit more stable than we've seen in, in recent weeks and months. Prices moving largely sideways uh, when it comes to the futures markets, at least. Um, although some of the physical markets have uh, seemed to be weakening a little bit uh, in recent days. That said, I mean, there's still a lot of positive fundamentals happening out there in the global markets. Um, we had a GDT auction this week, which was, again, positive. Uh, it was up 1.9% uh, across all products. And, you know, positive numbers pretty much across the board. I mean, whole milk up 1.9%, skim up one4 percent uh, butter was the one of the stronger performers there up three and a half percent and amf up 1.3 percent and while these were positive they were probably down a little bit on expectations the futures markets at least on the nzx were pointing to a higher gdt um, so a little bit disappointing while still being positive numbers uh, in terms of uh, of that auction some of the interesting things on the GDT auction was that uh, North Asia, uh, primarily China, was back buying uh, considerably more than they had been in recent auctions, 
which was interesting and, and probably a good uh, part of, uh, of why we saw the increased prices. Uh, however, they're still well behind where they have been in previous years. So still probably some more room for China to, to step back into the market in, in the coming weeks and months. When you look at various milk collection numbers that have been published in, in recent uh, days and weeks, um, we're still looking pretty weak out there. I mean, in, in Europe, we've had this week the German September milk collections published and, and they were down 2.44%. We also had Dutch numbers out for October this time, which were also quite weak at down 4.2%. So, you know, and even if you look at some of the weekly numbers, you're seeing the likes of France continuing to be down somewhere close to 2.4% year on year. So so still looking pretty weak out there. And and I guess it's understandable considering the fact that um, farmer margins are, are still under some pressure. Obviously, the high feed prices and costs uh, on farm are, are impacting the farmers today. But their milk prices haven't really caught up with these high commodity prices. There's usually a lag of two to three months, so so we probably won't see some of these higher milk prices come true in many parts of Europe till till January. So as a result, um, in in the short term at least, there's not a real um, reason or uh, a positive push for farmers to to expand uh, in terms of their milk collections. And you know we probably won't see anything until till the new year and and possibly into Q two um, from that regard when the margins really improve. So uh, general expectations are there's there's not going to be a lot of milk. There's still shortages in terms of uh, availability of product, but at the same time demand is starting to weaken a little bit at these higher prices. Um, the question marks there are, I guess, is this some demand destruction due to the high prices or just that some of the people who were really um, forced to buy in recent weeks have done what they need to do in advance of Christmas here and are, are slightly pulling back in hope of market prices moving lower. Um, so I guess we, we have to continue to watch this and, and see if there's a, a major change ahead. But right now it looks like we're continuing to be fairly tight in terms of supply. So while we stabilize in terms of prices, it's not looking very obvious that there's a major move down uh, on the horizon. Okay, that's great. Thanks a lot, Charlie. We'll talk to you again next week. StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And next week, the podcast will be out on the day before Thanksgiving. Perhaps we should call it Black Wednesday, or Grey Wednesday, as that tends to describe Scottish weather in the fall, and the winter, and maybe even the spring and summer as well. We have had a few clear nights lately, and Sunday is supposed to be sunny, so it might mean a hilltop walk, because we'll actually be able to see something. From the highest point locally on a clear day, you can see Northern Ireland, England, and the Isle of Man. On a wet day, you're lucky to even see Scotland. Even after many climbs in cloud, it's still a very eerie feeling standing on top of a hill or mountain and being able to see absolutely nothing. You could be on top of Mount Everest, well, minus the cold and minus the lack of oxygen, I guess. As I've been recording this, the mail has arrived, so I should go and see what I may have to send back today. And then I've got to call out the TV repair guy. Everything happens at once, it seems, as I've got to take the car in soon as well. I think I need to write it all down as I'm sure to forget something. Next week, the podcast so far is brought to you by the letter D, with interviews with Defend Our Health and DSM. And next week will also be the last podcast of November, so wherever in the world you're listening from, I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week and will join us again next time. Until then, have a great week, stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.